Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 12. 2 Kings chapter 12. Last week we left off in verse 7. Why repair ye not the breaches of the house? That was the question that King Jehoash asked the priests, including Jehoiada, the high priest. And to that question, there was no answer given. They were caught, and they were without a good excuse. They simply hadn't done the work. They had disobeyed the king's command. And our text tells us there in verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 12 and verse 6, It tells us that this interrogation happened in the 23rd year of Jehoash's reign. So he'd been on the throne a little while. So had these priests just put it off? And then put it off some more? After nobody seemed to care about it or question them? After all, Jehoash waited until he had been on the throne for some time before giving this assignment to them. Now, we don't know how long that was. The Bible didn't tell us. But these priests may have assumed, well, Jehoash is in no hurry to get this done as long as it gets done by somebody at some point. Perhaps you've heard this familiar story before. It's a good story to tell people who are in business, the employees, the administration. And it's about four people named nobody, everybody, somebody, and anybody. Some of you have heard it. I can tell by the laugh. Well, it bears repeating. It goes like this. There was a job to do, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought anybody would do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Now that makes your head hurt, doesn't it? The king's assignment was to Jehoiada and the other priests. Now let's remember that Jehoiada is the high priest, so he's, he's up there in the chain of command with the priests, and he may have given them the assignment to do what it was the king said to do. Jehoiada may have said, you heard the king, now get to it, and that's fine. However, if that's what he did, he should have checked on their progress. You don't just give a job out to your subordinates and hope that they do it. Your job as a supervisor, as a chief, as a captain, or whatever your rank is in a business, a father, in the family, a mother, is to check up and see if the order is being followed. And had that been done, the work would have been done. But even if Jehoiada didn't check on their progress... The individual priests should have had enough integrity to begin the work, sustain the work, and to complete the work. 
My sheriff doesn't have to check on me to see if I'm doing my job. He could check on me every 30 minutes and say, what are you doing now, Andy? Where are you? Are you on a traffic stop? Are you writing a report? He doesn't do that because he doesn't have to. And in turn, I want to make sure he never has to do that. Because as a Christian, I'm working for the Lord. Yes, I'm working for my employer, but in a higher plane, I'm working for the Lord. And I should never bring discredit upon my God by the way I work or the way I don't work. And there should have been at least one priest in this group who would stand up and say, Hey guys, let's get to work. I hope you're that somebody if you're still employed or if you are retired and you worked in a place. I hope you were the person who said, hey, let's, let's get to work. Let's do this. I've always been that way to my detriment. Sometimes I get after it before we're supposed to get after it. And I may not have what I need to get after it. But I understand that kind of person. But sadly, none of this happened. As far as we can tell, there wasn't a single priest in all of that group who said, let's get to work. So let's look at Jehoash's response. What does the king say about all this? Well, there in verse 7, look in the middle, right after he asked, Why repair ye not the breaches of the house? He said, Now, therefore, receive no more money of your acquaintances, but deliver it for the breaches of the house. Now, therefore, receive no more money of your acquaintances. First, stop taking money. That's the first step. Stop it. It's time to cut off the welfare check because that's exactly what it was. Money being paid to priests who didn't earn it and didn't do what they were supposed to do with it. It's time to stop defrauding the people. So when a fraud has been committed, the first thing that has to happen is that the fraud has to stop. Whenever... In my line of duty, we investigate identity theft. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a victim of identity theft. Many people have. And it is frustrating. It's stressful. It takes a lot of your time to recover from it, changing accounts and credit cards and dealing with all of that. And it's a terrible crime. And it's something that a lazy person will do to try to get money by using your name and you're identifying information. So when somebody calls our office and says, I've been a victim of identity theft. Somebody is ordering packages through FedEx and having them delivered in my name, and it's not me. Then we immediately provide that victim with instructions. We have a packet we give them. And those instructions tell them how to secure what they have right now how to keep from having any other losses. Stop your credit cards, notify your bank, all of that. And so that's what they do first is to prevent further damage from being done. And that's what Jehoiada said here. Hey, stop taking their money. We're going to start right there. Congress could learn from this too, couldn't they? In fact, Congress could just learn from the Bible altogether instead of holding it up when they swear into office and apparently most of them never reading it again if they read it at all. 
as one of their last acts of defiance against the American people, specifically the American people who produce, the makers. The swamp rats in Washington passed this Inflation Reduction Act, and the president signed it, and now this $1.7 million, or, or trillion dollar, $1.7 trillion monstrosity, that's the only word I can think of, is going to further rob the American people, the ones who pay the taxes. After the worst economy in four decades, this new law puts a further burden on the taxpayers, and you can read all about it yourself. I've read enough to make me throw up several times, and I just got a few pages into it. But I want you to let me know when you get your first gas bill of this new year. Because that's where you're going to see it, in addition to many other ways. There is going to be a methane charge, a methane charge for petroleum and for natural gas. And that methane charge, now this isn't the price of the natural gas or the petroleum. This is a charge that Congress added onto it to try to get more money so they can send it to these programs, these special programs that are part of this so-called Inflation Reduction Act. And that methane charge will start at $900 per metric ton. That's a surcharge. And it will increase to $1,500 per metric ton by the year 2026. It's going to hurt a lot of people. And do you know the first thing Congress needs to do about that? We have a new House of Representatives that's supposedly majority Republican, although that doesn't mean much to me anymore. Here's what they need to do. This is where I'm going with this. They need to hear this. Now, therefore, receive no more money of your acquaintances. The Bible can teach them a lesson if they'll learn it. Stop cutting the people. Stop the robbery. And that's what these priests were told to do first. Here's a good truth for you. Before you can help someone, you have to quit hurting them. Before you can help someone, you have to quit hurting them. Brother Fulton and I were talking after the service on Wednesday about how the greatest teacher of economics and finance is the Bible. There's no other textbook that comes close. And we were in Proverbs Wednesday learning about it. And now we're in 2 Kings today learning about it. In fact, you can find God's financial wisdom throughout the whole Bible. Jesus taught about it. So when we preach it, it's not because we decided, well, today we're going to preach on money, although I'm never ashamed to do that. It's that it comes up in our study. We're going to talk about it. We're not going to skip it. And so that's what we're doing today. Now that the command to stop receiving the money, to stop the robbery, has been given, there has to be the next step in making this right. These priests had done wrong. They've been told, quit taking money from your acquaintances. Now what's the next step? Look back in your text in verse 7. It says, but deliver it. For the breaches of the house. You see, this was the original command, wasn't it? Repair the breaches of the house. 
take this money that the people bring and repair the breaches of the house. Now looking into this a little bit deeper, I wonder if these priests reasoned within themselves that they weren't specifically told to hire masons, carpenters, stone workers, and so on, but just to repair the breaches themselves. It doesn't appear that even one of them approached the king and said, King, we have this command from you. Who should we hire? Who should we get to do this job? Who is the best stonemason? Who is the best carpenter you can think of? And we'll hire them to come repair these breaches. They just laid it aside. They were selfish, they were immature, and they were lazy. Let's say I gave $10,000 to the church for a new air conditioner. And I hand the check to the pastor. And I tell him, Pastor, I would like you to take this money and have a new air conditioner put into the church. Now, the pastor could reason, well, okay, I'm not an air conditioner repairman, so I'm not the one who's going to do the work. And imagine if he said within himself, I don't know how to put an air conditioner in. And Brother Andy didn't actually tell me who was supposed to do this job. He just said put an air conditioner in, and I don't know how. And I'm not a banker, so I can't cash this check, so I'll just hang on to this check. I'll just put it in the desk drawer and let it sit there. Now, our pastor would never do that. If I told him the money was for a new air conditioner, I wouldn't have to tell him to put that check in the bank, to give that to Brother Doug and have it put in the bank. I wouldn't have to tell him to call an air conditioning company and have a repairman come out and give an estimate and order the unit and install it. Those things would be understood, and they should have been understood by these priests. These priests shouldn't have had to been told to hire the right people to do the repairing of the breaches, and apparently they did not. Another thing we notice here is that the priests obeyed only part of the command in verses 4 through 5. So don't think for a minute they didn't understand the command. Don't think for a minute it was too complicated for them because there in verses 4 and 5 where it talks about what they're supposed to do, they understood the first part, didn't they? Receive the money. Boy, they knew how to collect that money. That was not hard at all. Just hold your hand out. There you go. And take it and put it somewhere. So they understood. They just disobeyed. They were good at that, receiving money from other people. But the work part, the effort part, they neglected. Now, many churches are good at receiving money, putting it in the bank, distributing it to their large staff in some cases. But it stops right there in so many instances. They know all the verses on giving. Boy, they can preach on giving and what's wrong with you if you're not giving. But they neglect to preach on the responsibility of those who receive it to do what they're supposed to do with it. 
They don't preach the word in season and out of season. To rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. With all long-suffering and doctrine. In other words, teach the whole thing. And do you know why those types of preachers neglect to preach the word? Because it will affect the giving. That's exactly what it will do. Why have churches all over the world been able to rake that money in right and left and buy their pastors all sorts of fancy things? And they have airplanes. And Let me tell you why Brother Roloff bought an airplane when he ran the home down there. In, well, he ran several of them, but the one in Corpus Christi. He bought an airplane because he figured out how much time he could save flying instead of driving that would allow him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for more days during a year than if he had to drive. That's the only reason he had a plane, and it was not a jet. And he, on the day that he died, he told some of his workers, he said, this is going to be the greatest day of my life. And he got in that little... I think it was a single engine, and took off, and that was the last flight he ever made. He went on to glory. His body came down to the earth. But so many want all the fancy things, and they know that if they take that large congregation, let me tell you, I could thin out some churches, and it's, it wouldn't be by being mean. I would never go into a church and be mean to the people and try to hurt them and discourage them. But by simply preaching the truth, starting with the correct preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can thin the crowd out in a hurry. And you need to. You need to get the goats away from the sheep until they have decided, I don't want to be a goat anymore. I want to be a sheep. You've got the goats mixed in with the sheep. You've got the wheat mixed in with the tares. And people seem perfectly content about it. These pastors are driven by the money. And on the other side of the pulpit are the people who go to those churches who are members. They treat that church and any other church like a restaurant. If they don't like what's on the menu, they take their money and they go somewhere else. One of the precautions we took during the COVID hysteria here in our church was to stop passing the offering plate from person to person to try to reduce the contact we had with each other's hands and germs, and that was fine. So we put the plates down here. Well, the hysteria is over, at least here it is, and we, uh, we left the plates down here. Do you know why? We don't have to take an offering here. We have people, both in the church and people who are watching online, who love the preaching of God's Word enough, you don't have to run over to them with a plate and say, here, you want to give your offering? They're just going to bring it. They're going to put it in the plate. They're going to send it in the mail or Venmo it or however the pastor has it arranged for those who are out of town. And our ushers don't have to see the uncomfortable looks on people's faces who hold the plate and never put anything in there. And you know what? To my knowledge... The tithes and offerings have not been negatively affected one bit by us putting the plates down here and just letting the people bring their tithes and offerings. Not one bit. Why is that? 
It's because God's people, and we're not the only ones with God's people in our church, not at all. But it's because God's people willingly, obediently give to the Lord's work, just like these people in Israel were obediently and willingly giving to the Lord's work. And the money that is received is scripturally employed in kingdom work. That's what you have your confidence in when you pay your tithes and your, give your offerings to the church. And we don't give a penny to any cause that is unbiblical. I've run plenty of people out of that foyer right there who came in looking for money by simply telling them, we don't give out cash. If you'd like to stay here and worship with us, we'd love to have you. And afterward, we may be able to find some work for you to do to earn your money. Hey, that's the way to do it. Never had a taker. Not one time in the three churches that I've been a member of over the last 28 years, not one time have I ever had somebody say, thank you, I believe I'll stay and worship and I'll cut grass on Saturdays for money. Never had anybody do that. We turn down most requests for money. And that includes most missionaries who want our support. You know why? Because we vet them. We do a little background. We interview them. And usually the first thing our pastor will ask them was or is, how can I be saved? I want you to tell me how I can be saved. Pretend I'm a lost person. And they go off the rails pretty quick. They're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they're not, we're not interested in giving them any money. We don't want to give it to people like these disobedient priests. And there are a dime a dozen out there, by the way. So now these priests were to deliver it, the money, deliver it for the breaches of the house. Now the word deliver is pretty simple to understand. It's translated as the word give more than it is any other word in the Old Testament. So the presumption here is that these priests still had the money to deliver. But you notice Jehoash didn't ask them, hey, guys, you know all that money you've received over the last few years? Y'all still have that? He didn't ask that. Because whether they had it or not, they were to deliver it. If you're given money, or if you borrow money, you try this with a credit card company. You borrow $10,000 for whatever specialized thing you want to buy and it comes time to pay that bill and you tell them well, I, I don't have the money and guess what they do they put the interest on you so not only do they demand the money but they demand some more because you use their money and then when you call them and say hey I, I'm, I'm having a hard time they just keep adding that interest now you signed you have to remember this and boy this was good point Wednesday night about co-signing a loan. If you can't afford to pay off a loan for somebody else, don't ever co-sign. We had a good lesson on that. Well, it's the same thing with a credit card. You sign up for one, you sign your promise that if you borrow this money from these people, and I know you didn't read the fine print, none of us do, but you borrow money from these people that you'll pay every bit of it back on time, and if you don't, you agree to pay the interest rate. You have to deliver it. 
And these priests had to deliver that money. Now look at verse 8. And the priests consented to receive no more money of the people, neither to repair the breaches of the house. Now the first part is understandable. Jehoash said, quit taking money from the people, and they said, okay. But the second part might be a little confusing to you because it tells us they consented neither to repair the breaches of the house. In other words, it appears at face value they're saying, well, we just won't repair the breaches of the house either. But I consulted a a couple of other translations just to see what the import of this verse might be. And the English Standard Version puts it this way. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. I emphasize the word they. Rather than the the breaches won't get repaired, they won't do it. They didn't do it in the first place. So the priest would neither take the money nor repair the breaches. So what's happened here? Joash has taken them out of the mix. If I can't trust you guys to do what I said with this money, I'm just going to put you to the side and we'll handle it another way. Now, I'll tell you what. Anybody who has any integrity would be ashamed if that ever happened to them. If my employer ever had to come to me and say, Andy, you're not, you neither fishing nor cutting bait. We're going to put somebody else in your place. I'd be ashamed. And I don't ever want that to happen. By God's grace, it won't. So the priest would neither take the money nor repair the breaches. Now, we're going to use some of the following verses to help us understand why they did not consent to repair these breaches. In other words, why they weren't going to do it. Look at verse 9. But Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one cometh into the house of the Lord. And the priest that kept the door put therein all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. All right? And when you bore a hole, when you drill a hole in the lid of a chest, what it suggests is that the lid of that chest is secure on there, probably by a lock or some sort of mechanism. Otherwise, you could just open it up. You wouldn't have to drill a hole in it, right? It's kind of like a piggy bank, except it doesn't look like a pig. And it's more, it's a less accessible to little brother in the next room who wants to steal your money. Now, this would mean two things. One, that the money that had already been brought in would be put into this chest. So one thing we are not certain of, at least based I'm not, based on the text, is whether they still had some of that money left over that they had taken all along or not. And if they did, how much? I don't know that. God does, though. He didn't lose track. And two, money that would be brought in from this point on would be put into that chest. So this is a little change in modus operandi, isn't it? There would be no more collecting money from their acquaintances. No more would the priests go out and say, uh, Hey, Otis, I'll take, your, I'll take your offerings and I'll deposit it right over here in this. Nope. Otis would bring it himself and present it, and then we'll see in a minute uh, how this was going to be done, but it would be brought straight to the chest. So what happened? Some accountability was established here, wasn't it? 
Accountability. Because of man's sinful nature, you have to have accountability, especially when it comes to finances. So let's talk about accountability. Be very careful. Be wary of a person like a coworker. If that person gets upset because you want to count down your cash drawer before you hand it off to them, be wary of a person who gets upset at something like that. Or if you work at a bank and you say, hey, I'm not, I'm not just going to leave and not count my bag. I'm going to count the bag in front of you, and then you make sure that you agree, and then we'll sign off, and I'll turn it over to you. Now, why would you ever get upset? Or if you say, you know, I'd, I'd like to have somebody witness the counting of this cash. I'll stay in here with you, or you stay in here with me. Why would you ever be upset at someone who wants accuracy and accountability when it comes to money? Every theft I ever worked had one thing in common, and I worked a bunch of them in my career, and so did Brother Fulton. But money theft is what I'm talking about here. The accountability and the security procedures that had been put in place were not followed, at least one of them and usually several. Either one person counted the drawer by himself, or the safe was left unlocked, which should never happen, or an employee took the bank bag home over the weekend, and so on. And in every one of those cases, if all of those security and accountability procedures had been followed to a T, there would have been no theft. No theft. In our text, there should be no priest, if he was righteous, no priest who was offended by what Jehoiada did. When Jehoiada, he didn't say it, but he implied it, you guys aren't collecting anymore. All the money gets brought right here and put directly into this chest. You don't hold on to it. You don't keep it in the trunk of your chariot. You don't do anything with it. It comes right here. In fact, Jehoiada shows great leadership in this instance. Because I, now I can't be dogmatic about this, but I'm going to give you what I think probably happened here. I think Jehoiada probably did give the charge to those priests to repair the breaches of the house of the Lord. While he did the greater work of the high priest. The high priest didn't have time to go check all those other things. That's why God established Courses, tours of duty for these Levites, gave them specific jobs. And if you want to know how specific they were, go read the books of Exodus and Leviticus, and you'll see exactly what these different priests did. As they took down the tabernacle and raised it back up, and who carried what and who was supposed to be where, very specific. And what you don't see in there is that Aaron, the high priest, went over and shouldered the burden carrying the staves from one place to the other. That wasn't his job. His job was to guard that Ark of the Covenant and to go in there once a year with that blood. So Jehoiada shouldn't have had to be the one who repaired the breaches himself. And so I don't have any doubt that he probably gave them the assignment. However, if he did that, he put too much trust in them, didn't he? He failed to hold them accountable. When King Jehoash 
questioned these priests about their failure to repair the breaches, here's another place I think Jehoiada showed great leadership. Because it would have been easy for him to point a finger and say, hey, hey, hold on, king. I told them. I told them. But they disobeyed me. A good leader won't do that. Imagine a store manager who has an employee who, well, I'll give you an example. I know of a state agency, and I'm not going to name it. There's a bunch of them, by the way. Don't try to guess. It's not mine. I don't work for the state. I work for a county. I know of a state agency about 15 years ago who had an employee who was looking at pornography on duty at the person's desk 40 hours a week. That's the entire work week. Now, do you know why that happened? Yes, the employee had uh, perverted thoughts and all of that. But why did it happen 40 hours a week? Because somebody wasn't doing their job as a supervisor. What should have happened is after just a few hours, somebody who was the supervisor went over and said, Hey, come here. Let's go in my office and have a talk. And there should have been some paper. And maybe a termination on something like that. But that supervisor didn't check up on that employee, so it made that supervisor look bad. And the last thing that supervisor needed to do is point at the employee and say, well, it's his fault. He was the one doing it. Yeah, but it's your fault for not checking up on him. So if you're a supervisor, don't ever be ashamed to check up on your employees. And you can do it in a very professional way. Because ultimately, if they fail, you fail at least in that circumstance. And a good leader would never do that. A good leader would take responsibility not only for his own actions, but for the actions of his subordinates. And after all, had he done his job, Jehoiada, they would have done their jobs. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Now look at verse 10. And it was so when they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and they put up in bags, that means they bagged the money, and told the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Boy, this is a good verse right here. Look at what happens when the money, all of it, goes where it's supposed to. It is now so abundant that it had to be taken out of the chest and put into bags. It's all there. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You bring all the money where it's supposed to be, then at the end of the day, all the money that's supposed to be there is there. That's just good accounting. So let's learn a couple of practical truths here. When the money was taken up individually by the priests from their acquaintances, there was no chest. There's no pile to put it in, as far as we can tell. So priest... A over here might have thought, well, this little bit that I have, they're not going to miss this. All the other guys will put their money in, and I'm just going to hold on to this or spend it or do something else with it. And perhaps there was another priest who did the same thing, and then maybe another and another. Remember, here's one of the truths. What man doesn't know God foreknew. What man doesn't know, God foreknew. So if you ever steal and you think, well, my boss won't find out, God already knew you were going to do it. You're not hiding from him. 
And even though your fellow man doesn't know, you're not keeping it a secret from God. And a second truth here has to do with the word told. This wasn't just a verbal report or a guess. The Hebrew word for told means reckon, R-E-C-K-O-N. That is an accounting term. And it's usually translated as the word number in the Old Testament. So the priests who bagged the money had to number it. They had to reckon it or count it. There's a scriptural reason for what we in business call double accountability. And I described it to you a minute ago, having at least two people involved in all phases of counting, transporting money. And here's the scriptural reason. It's in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. This is the principle. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So whether the matter is a sin or a good work, the matter is established when there are two or three witnesses. And that principle is given by, in the Old Testament by Moses and in the New Testament by Jesus and Paul. And we're going to study that next week, Lord willing, whenever I come back with less gravel in my gizzard, Miss Ann. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for giving us the strength of voice today to be able to teach the lesson, for good attention by the people who are here and the ones online. And Lord, I pray that you just teach us these sound, fundamental principles of accountability and honesty that your word gives us. And what happens when those are not followed even by those who are the priests? And we thank you for this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen.